0: So Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, According to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Claire is one of our outstanding leaders here in Carmoney, and Claire, thank you for leading us so well. Um, in in prayer, um, and as we've read God's word, um, we've been thinking um, in the last week or two about God's glorious mystery revealed to us um, in the Bible through the Apostle Paul, as he writes um, to the Ephesian church. And the mystery is that there there is one body of God's people, um, one body, one people united in the Holy Spirit, who have a commission a mission with God given to them, to us. And the mission is to make known, to make known the glorious riches of Christ and the manifold wisdom of God in this world. And we thought last week about how this is all through the church, through you and through me, through us. Um, a church that after all these years, not just here in Carmoney, but over the last 2,000 years, a church, a people of God who are still here. We're still here. And last week, for some of you, it was really important just that you acknowledge that, that I am still here. I still believe in what you are doing, God, in my life and through this church. I am still here. I'm still worshiping you. I'm still living for you. I'm still making you known. Thank you for your grace to us. God gets the glory, but we get to be part of what he is doing here on the earth. What a privilege. Um, I love theology. Theology is great. To study God is a wonderful thing. Um, I get to do that with my life. I've given a lot of my time and I continue to do that day in and day out. Theology is great. I love grappling with theology. I love to get my head around the big truths um, of God in the Bible that we read in the scriptures. I love theology. But it's really important that what we know about God um, always gets from our head to our heart. That it isn't just ever head knowledge, but that it gets into our heart and works itself out in, in how we live. Hugely influential 20th century Swiss theologian Karl Barth, um, he understood and wrote a lot about the goal of, of Christian theology, um, how it's not merely to get it known, but to get it lived that we don't just know God, that we just don't know about him in our minds, but it's important how it's lived, how we live it out in our everyday lives. And so today, I believe what we see in these verses is Paul begin um, to take us from knowing to living. Paul really begins to take us from head to heart. And Paul really goes after our hearts in in what we're going to think about in these next few moments, the prayer that Claire has already read for us. So today, that's what we're thinking about. This prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 is in many ways a hinge point. It's a turning point. It's a critical moment in Paul's letter. Tyler Statton, he speaks of how the clearest way to understand this letter And I think this is really helpful. He says the clearest way to understand Paul's letter to the Ephesians is to view it in two parts. Part one, he says, is in the stars, and part two is in the dirt. Chapters one to three in many ways are in the heavens, in the stars, high up, whereas part two, chapters four to six, are in many ways grounded in the dirt of our everyday lives. And as I sat within this prayer all week, this has been really, really helpful for me. Chapters 1 to 3 are in the stars in the sense that, that we see the glorious promises of God. Paul reveals to us this soaring theology, this massive view of who God is, the all-encompassing, expansive, meta-narrative, the big story of what God is doing in the whole world. We've seen that in the first three chapters. Hopefully you remember the last three chapters and all that we've thought about. We've been seeing this kind of heavenly, massive, all-encompassing view of what God is doing in the world. But if chapters 1 to 3 are in the stars, then chapters 4 to 6, and we're going to discover this over the coming weeks, chapters 4 to 6 are grounded in the dirt. Paul begins to walk us through what chapters one to three actually mean in our nine to five, in our daily living, in our everyday lives, in our family structures, in our homes, in our households, in our relationships, in the habits that we form, in the choices that we make, that what we see here is grounded. We're going to see how grounded it is in our everyday lives and it's as practical as it gets. That's where we're at in the letter. But the hinge, the turning point, the point that the whole letter hangs on is a prayer. A prayer is the hinge of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's this prayer at the end of chapter three, and it holds the whole letter together. This is really important. This prayer, in many ways, gets all of the soaring theology into our bloodstream. These big truths and promises about God and who he is and what he's doing in the world, in this prayer, Paul is is impressing it into our hearts. He wants it to get into our bloodstream, into our DNA. He wants this, this theology, this understanding of God to become alive in us to pulsate through our being so that it works itself out in our everyday lives. When we think about Jesus, we know that the Son of God came from the glory of heaven to the grit, to the dirt of planet earth. He left the gaze of angels and he came to seek and save the lost. He came to the dirt. And of course, the gospels, the the accounts of the life of Jesus are set in the dirt of life here on earth. The good news In case we don't understand this, the good news of Jesus is for here and now. It's for right now. The good news is for your life right now. It's for your everyday living. It's for the struggles that you face in each moment of every day. The good news is for this place. The good news is for your life. The good news actually makes a difference in how you live in what happens in your life, in how you approach every situation that you deal with. And so the prayers that we pray are are to Jesus who reigns over the whole cosmos, but they must be grounded in the dirt of life here on planet earth. We're missing it if this is not our experience. If our prayer life doesn't land on the ground, and make a difference in how we live. I think we're missing what God intends for us. So three things to notice about Paul's hinge point prayer. And I've put this into three statements of application for us so that this is really easy to apply. Okay, so the first one is this. We kneel before the Father. In prayer, we kneel before our heavenly Father. Paul knelt did you notice that he says for this reason i kneel before my father in heaven paul knelt it's a it's a posture of reverence it is most certainly that it's a posture of submission it's a posture of surrender in eugene peterson's commentary on ephesians he writes this about kneeling listen to this about kneeling before god He writes, the physical act of bowing my knees before the Father is an act of reverence. It's also an act of, listen to this, voluntary defenselessness. While on my knees, I cannot run away. I cannot assert myself. I place myself in a position of willed submission, vulnerable to the will of the person before whom I am bowing. It is an act of retreating from the action. So that I can perceive what the action is without me in it, without me taking up space, without me speaking my piece. On my knees, I am no longer in a position to flex my muscles, strut or car, hide in the shadows or show off on stage. I become less so that I can be aware of more. I become less. So that I can be aware of more. I set my agenda aside for a time and become still present to God. Not wonderful. Paul kneels before his Father in heaven. See Paul in your mind's eye. Picture Paul, he's behind bars. You haven't forgotten that? Paul's in prison. He's banged up, incarcerated. Guards are on watch, probably pacing slowly back and forth outside of his cell, making sure he has nowhere to go. He has nowhere to go. He's stuck. Paul is entirely off stage. As Paul drops to his knees in this moment, he's entirely off stage. There's no one around. Nobody watching except for his letter writing scribe and the on-duty guard at the gate of a cell. Bony knee to stony grind. Can you picture Paul? Bony knee to stony grind, And he has no agenda but to become still and aware of the presence of the Father to whom he prays. You see, to pray is this. We kneel before our heavenly Father, We kneel before our Father in heaven. We have our own bone to floor moments, don't we? Some of you think my knees are bad enough. You know, it's hard when I get down on the hard floor or even on the carpet, but we do have our own moments when we go bone to floor. Moments when we need, when we need our cosmic star arranging God to become deeply present and personal in that moment when our knees hit the floor. We all have those moments. You see, to pray is to cast our, our minds to heaven, to look to the stars, to look to the glory of God, but then to bring the stars, heaven, into the dirt of our lives on planet earth. As our knees hit the ground, that we would experience heaven, the promises of God come into that moment as we kneel before our Father on earth. Are you with me? That's what it means to pray. We kneel before the Father. How does this um, happen in your life? How does your prayer life feel? Good question. How does your prayer life feel? Does it feel, if you're honest, a little bit starry at times? You know, like far off, out of reach, like your praying words are disappearing somewhere into the night sky. Does it feel a little bit like that? Like your prayers are lost? to the otherness of your cosmic heavenly father, who, if you're honest, you think he seems too busy looking after some of his other kids to have a conversation with you. Be honest, does it sometimes feel that way? Yeah, God, you're speaking to them, you're with them, but you're not really with me. It all feels a little bit distant and far off. Can I say this morning, it should never, ever feel that way. It should never feel that way. When our knees hit the floor, heaven ought to touch the earth, bone to floor, father to son or daughter. Heavenly father to son to daughter as you bow before him in humble adoration and prayer. The cosmic power and splendor of God in the grit and the grime of your life and mine. See, interestingly, kneeling actually wasn't common in Paul's day. To kneel in prayer wasn't the thing that would have been expected. Jewish people would have actually prayed like this. They would have raised their arms in prayer. Paul was a a Jew. Remember that? He was a a Pharisee who had been radically converted by that encounter with, with Jesus But for a Jewish person, it would have been common to pray with arms raised in the air. By the way, I'm going to preach someday on postures of worship and prayer. You'll see me making all kinds of shapes at the front, but I think it's important that we understand the kind of biblical postures of worship and prayer and the expanse of posture that is available to us as Christians that it's okay to pray like this or to worship God like that, or to fall to your knees, or to lie in front of him, prostrate. Always have to be careful with that word. (laughs) I think I've usually got it wrong in church. Paul kneels, but it wasn't usual to kneel before the Father. To kneel was unusual, perhaps suggesting in this moment an eagerness or an earnestness of Paul's heart. I think it suggests that this desperation to fall before the father on his knees, bone to ground. But to kneel was also actually more of a Gentile thing to do. The Gentiles would have knelt. Remember, Paul is speaking to this new people group, um, this new citizenship, this new people of God, quite possibly predominantly made up of Gentiles, not Jews. And therefore, as Tyler Statton suggests, Paul is not kneeling instinctively. It's not instinct for Paul to do this, but Paul is kneeling intentionally. He's identifying with them, and he's identifying with us. This is a moment of great identification of heart, of prayer, of desire, of devotion. He's praying for them, but Paul also prays for us. He's kneeling to identify with us. Paul, in this moment, I think we can see this. He's wholly, totally surrendered to God, but he's also, also wholly given to, to us, to those that he is praying for in this moment. It's the heart of Paul. Don't you love it? given to us in prayer. To pray like Paul is to kneel before the Father. The second thing I think that we see here is this. We pray, when we pray, we pray for surpassing love. See what Paul does in this moment? He applies all that he's just taught the Ephesians about in the previous three chapters. He he lands it in their hearts. He begins to do that in this prayer. He wants us to actually know. Remember chapter one, the riches of Christ. Well, Paul actually, he wants us to really, really know those riches in our lives. He wants us to know not just have knowledge, but to know in our hearts the strength and the power and the love of Jesus in our lives. He wants us to know the surpassing love of Christ. He wants us to know it. He wants us to intimately experience that to pursue that to feel that in our hearts. It is okay as a Christian to feel things deeply within your life. He wants us to feel this love this all surpassing love of God. You know what? There's no moderation with Paul. Sure there's not. Not moderating things here or cutting back a little bit or holding far. There's no moderation. Paul wants us to know this fully, fully. He wants us to be filled, verse 19, to the measure of the fullness of God, filled with life from him, filled with his love. He wants us to be full. Did you hear that? Fullness, fullness. Fullness is God's desire for you. Fullness of his riches, fullness of his power, fullness of his love. He wants you to know the expanse of his love For you? Are you feeling unloved? Paul wants you, God wants you, the Lord Jesus wants you to know the all surpassing love that God has for you. It's overwhelming width, height, breadth, depth. He wants you to know this, He wants you to feel this in your heart. But Stuart, how can we know this? How can I know this fullness? I want to know this and experience this more. But how? How can I? Well, if you look at verse seventeen, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There are actually two verbs in the Greek that translate dwell. But one of the words means to inhabit the place or to live in a place or dwell in a place as a stranger. That's one of the verbs for dwell. But the other verb um, means that, that, that one will permanently settle down in a place. Okay, so one of them is temporary. One of them is permanent. The one that Paul uses is a permanent word. He wants us to know, this is really important. He wants us to realize that Jesus is not present in your life like a guest in a hotel who comes in, has a bit of a time there, and then leaves, goes somewhere else, goes on to the next venture or the next um, person. He is more like a permanent resident in your life. He dwells there. He has settled down in your life, and he is not going anywhere You need to understand that. If you're a Christian, Jesus is not some kind of temporary guest. He's going to drift in and out a little bit. He lives permanently within you. Paul wants us to know that Jesus has settled down in our hearts. He has settled down into our lives. Jesus lives in the Christian by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. To have Jesus living within us is to have the Holy Spirit living within us. The Spirit is our teacher. He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's the gift giver, isn't he? Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits and so on. He gives gifts to his people. Incredible power and potential is available through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He works all around us. He works through us, but primarily he does a work within us, within our hearts. And so I believe that it is true that the ultimate expression of the Holy Spirit's power at work within us as God's people is a life that is saturated with the love of Jesus a life that is assured of his love, a life that experiences the surpassing love of Christ, should we even be in prison? Should all else feel like it's fallen apart? That we would be assured that Jesus doesn't guest in and out. He does not come and go. He dwells in you. He lives in you. He is going nowhere. He's a permanent resident in your life and his love endures forever isn't that good some of you again are looking stunned by this (laughs) i'm glad i know it's a good stunning he's in your life he's a permanent resident and his love endures forever See, God's desire is that we would live with Jesus so settled down within our hearts that the Spirit would enable us to know, to experience this love that surpasses all knowledge. And so we pray, we pray, we ask God for this surpassing love. God, let me know it more. Let me know your surpassing love when the sun Is on my back, but also when the wind and the rain is in my face. God, let me know your love in my moments of delight and in my moments of great disappointment. Let me know your love. May I know your love in my joys and in my sorrows. God, in moments when I feel like I totally belong and in moments when I feel like I've been betrayed. May I know your surpassing love. Surpassing love. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives brings a constant and available invitation to know the surpassing love of God in our lives. It's an open, ongoing, constant invitation in every moment that we would know the surpassing love of Jesus. And then finally... Finally, we long for immeasurably more. We fall on our knees. We pray for surpassing love, but we long. We long for immeasurably more. You see, we hear in Paul's prayer this desire for the the moreness of God. Did you pick that up? The moreness of God He begins this bone-to-floor prayer by saying that he kneels before his Father. And then he ends this bone-to-floor moment in verse 20 where he says, Now to him, to the Father that I have knelt before, to him, to him, to him, to my heavenly Father, to him who is able to do what? Immeasurably more. That just means, if Paul could, it just means vastly more than more, like vastly more than more than more, like abundantly more, more than I could ever imagine. There's not actually enough. This is a super superlative that Paul is using here. He can't actually find the words to express this moreness of God to the God who can do immeasurably more than all that we can ever ask for or imagine according to his power that's work within us. See, when we pray to God, don't we understand that there are no boundary lines? There are no limits to what He can do. None. Immeasurably more knows no limits. Immeasurably more, there's no end to the potential and possibility of the God of immeasurably more. I mean, let's, let's raise our faith in that. Let's raise our hearts into that. He's the God of immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. More than more. Vastly more than more. Than more. Than what you could ever imagine. Or what I could ever imagine. So when we pray to God, we pray to the one who knows no boundaries. Whose love has no limits. Knees in the dirt, but imaginations in the heavens. Knees on the ground, hearts in the stars. To the God of immeasurably more. But here's the incredible thing. Paul prays that the Ephesians would grasp this love, doesn't he? That they would know the width and the breadth and the height and the depth of this immeasurably moreness of God's love. This surpassing love. And yet... In the book of M things, in the book of Revelation, Paul, or John's vision of what he sees and these letters to the churches, do you know what's written about the Ephesian church? I'm not going to call you out on that one, but you know, in in Revelation 2, we read that though they had worked hard, listen to this, though they had worked hard, these Ephesian Christians that Paul is writing to, though they had worked hard and endured hardships as a church, they had done well. They're commended for doing really well. Well done, you worked hard. You endured some hardships for Jesus. That's what is written about them. But then the Lord Jesus writes that they had forsaken their first love. They had forsaken their first love. They had left their love for Jesus behind somewhere in the busyness. They forsook their first love. They have forsaken Jesus. And then they're called to repent and do the things that they did at first. They're called back to love, back to the Father's heart, back to a love for Jesus, the one who first loved them. You see, a church is revived, awakened, only when the surpassing love of God is put in first place. Experience in all of its width, all of its length, all of its breadth, all of its heights. A people are revived and awakened when they are filled with the measure of the fullness of God, his immeasurable moreness, his all-surpassing love that is for us. I'm gonna close in a moment. Let me can I invite our worship team forward? I'm gonna just close here with something that I read this week. We're going to sing in a moment. I'm going to respond to what God is speaking to us about. Has anyone heard this week um, of the, the revival in Asprey in Kentucky? Some amazing scenes about what's going on and, and that university campus that is beginning to spread. Um, it looks primarily to other university campuses um, Young people seeking God like never before. I mean, time will tell um, what God is really doing in and through that. But you know what? Like we watch with longing and expectancy. We long that it would happen here. J.D. Walt is a former dean of chapel at the university there. And he had this to say, listen to this he had this to say about what appears to be happening. He says, the hunger is characterized by exuberant worship. Empowered by the spirit, led by the students. No production whatsoever. No screens or words projected. Seemingly no song lists. They sing until the Spirit seems to give them another song. There is a lot of prayer being led all over the house. There are testimonies given throughout the day. And then he says this, It is the holy love of God, rising like a tide and rolling like waves. And then this, Jesus is the only celebrity here. No one even remotely considers the names of anyone in leadership here. They're not unseasoned. He says they're just unknown. Incredible humility characterizes this whole move. This has been enormously disruptive to the school, but no one seems to care. Who wants to be enormously disrupted? By what God is doing we're going to sing let me invite you to stand with us. we're going to sing and worship God just as we as we do that um, I think it's really important how we respond to God um, this whole idea of head to heart um that what we hear and do, what we hear from God, that it actually makes a difference. That we actually go out of here, changed, transformed, walking in the power of the Spirit. And so I'm gonna pray, and then maybe just during our time of worship as we close our time. We've loads of time here. This is great. During our time of worship, um I'm going to ask just if those here in prayer ministry could be around the front and in this prayer, and I'm going to do this in a moment, Paul Paul dropped to his knees and he prayed for mainly those two things the surpassing love of Jesus and this understanding of immeasurably more. Surpassing love and immeasurably more. And so as we worship God, okay, when we're worshiping God, if you desire someone to pray over your life, those two things, surpassing love, Lord, I want to know more of your love. I want to know it. I want to sense it and feel it. I want to live it out. And I want immeasurably more. If you have more, God, more for me, I'm asking that you dispense that, that you reveal that to me, that I step in to your mourners. So you can come as we worship at any point, just round to the front, and there will be our prayer ministry team and will be available to pray for you those two things into and over your life. But let's just take a moment to pray. Let's pray. And Heavenly Father, we do kneel before you. We bow before you, Father. You alone are worthy as our knees hit the floor. We're asking that heaven would touch earth, that the wonderful truths that we know about you, Lord God, would be in the dirt and everydayness of our lives, Father, that your spirit would work within us, that we would be a people who know your surpassing love, that it would overflow in our lives, in this place, within us as a church, Lord, that we would be marked by a sense of your surpassing love and a desire for immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. You're the God of the impossible, the God of the miraculous, the remarkable, the things beyond our comprehension. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come surpassing love and immeasurably more do it within our hearts. Lord, we, we give you our lives, we respond in worship. Lord, come half your way. Half your way among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.